So, Michael, it's great to see you over Zoom again, although it seems like just yesterday we were recording the last season of Future You. So it wasn't really much of a summer break for us this year, was it? No, not a, not at all, Jeff, and, and, and certainly not for the uh, leaders, faculty, and staff at colleges and universities around the country either, as they've been planning, as, as you know, frantically for the fall. And that's exactly what we get to talk about today on our first episode of this new season. A summer during COVID and higher ed and what our listeners can expect during season four of Future You. I'm Michael Horn. And I'm Jeff Salingo and welcome to Future You. Today is our customary welcome back show, but it doesn't really feel all that normal because it's been a pretty unusual summer for higher ed. Um, you know, as we all know, generally summer is a time for pauses in the academic calendar, for faculty and staff to refresh and gear up. And they've been certainly gearing up for summer, um, but not perhaps getting so much time to refresh. When I look at my Twitter feed, I'm just talking about all the stress on, on higher education faculty this summer who've had to plan for both being in person in one moment and then teaching online uh, another moment. Um, and Michael, that's, that's meant for the news cycle in higher ed. It hasn't slowed down one bit even uh, either, uh, you know, even as we took a brief hiatus from future you. Yeah, it was certainly brief, but it, it was interesting, Jeff. I was talking to an NPR reporter just the other day on the higher ed beat, and he was remarking at just how there's been no let up in the news cycle this summer for colleges and universities and subsequently for him. And so I, I thought it made sense for us to start today's show right there to, to catch up on the summer in higher ed and our reflections on what's transpired, Jeff, at, at, at a high level anyway, which it's going to be a good precursor, I think, uh, to how we've planned out the season of Future You, which if I've learned anything, you know, we should be wary to say that these are definitive plans because everything could change as we as we learned last year. But our plan, at least, is to continue to focus on the dramatic changes occurring across the higher ed landscape. Thanks, of course, to COVID-19, but also some of the trends that were happening before, the continued digitization of the university, the challenges to the business model of higher ed and more. Yeah, Michael, I think that's a good plan. And I probably put plan in quotes, right? Because we started last season. We had kind of, I think, two different seasons of Future You last year, kind of pre-COVID and, and post-COVID. And we're kind of still in that mode um, this year as well. And I, I'm particularly excited because we have a pretty awesome slate of guests coming up on Future You. We have the president as well as the CFO of Dickinson College in Pennsylvania to talk about how their reopening plans changed over the summer. We also have Marnie Baker-Stein of Western Governors University, who's going to be on talking about about the digital transformation of higher ed and what this moment means, not only for online learning, but something I think most college leaders are talking about, and that is the future of hybrid learning, um, partly face-to-face, -face, partly in person. Yeah, that's a good point. I, and I'm also excited because we've, for a long time, uh, talked about having uh, our friend, the president of Southern New Hampshire University, Paula Blank, on. And uh, while I think we, we thought we would do it in person and we were waiting for that right moment, uh, we're going to do it over Zoom and we're going to be thrilled to talk with him later this season about the uh, certainly the, the dramatic announcements that Southern New Hampshire University has made. But even more so, he started to reflect a lot more about what those changes means for higher ed more broadly and the different business models that'll make higher ed sustainable in the future. Uh, and, and to that end, I'm also looking forward to continuing one of our themes from the end of last season, uh, which is to talk about how to communicate in higher ed in a crisis to all the different stakeholders that a campus has and to explore the importance of communications. Because, Jeff, I'll, I'll confess, at least from my perspective, that's something that a lot of folks, not just in higher ed, but K-12 as well, have just fallen a bit flat on over the last few months. And 
I think it's something very worth exploring. On that note, Jeff, I'll, I'll also say the other thing I'm really excited uh, about before we get into some themes from the summer, and I, I'm sure it's not something you're at all excited about, but uh, your new book is coming out in, in just a few weeks. It's, it, you know, we've been talking about it a lot, and it's, it's finally here. And for those listening who don't know, the book is called uh, Who Gets In and Why? A Year Inside College Admissions, and it's available for pre-order now. Uh, but we're going to devote a whole episode to it because, uh, Jeff, you, you don't have to say this, certainly, but I, I will for you. It's, it's a really good book. I learned a ton from it, even as someone who's you know embedded in this higher ed world. And I think for everyone who reads it, it'll be eye-opening. Um, I'm curious, you know, a lot of folks are saying, well, he reported it before the pandemic. Hasn't a lot changed? How are you thinking about the relevancy in, in this time? I, I confess from my perspective, I think it's still relevant, but I'm curious how you're thinking about that. Well, I appreciate that, Michael. And I keep Keep telling people it's 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 relevant, and here's why I think it's it's relevant. The the best analogy that I'm giving to folks right now, because I'm a huge, as you probably know, I'm a huge baseball fan. Uh, really was hoping to celebrate here in my hometown of of Washington the Nationals uh, World Championship last year, but of course nobody's allowed in baseball stadiums. But they're still playing. Well, at least you guys are 500. The Red Sox are sinking quick. So go ahead. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's true. Um, uh, and so what I think is interesting to me as we think think about how baseball is being played is that it's still on the same field but the rules have slightly changed and i think that's the same thing in college admissions the college admissions process is still going to be played on the same field institutions will still have their priorities in terms of what they're looking for in students but some of the rules are going to change mostly around testing because the sat and act have canceled a, a ton of tests and they're probably going to cancel more uh, this fall and as a result a lot of institutions have gone test optional uh, and so that's the biggest probably rule change but as you know from reading the book i talk a little bit about um how testing or talk a lot about how testing is not as big as people think it is in in college admissions, especially parents and, and students. So that's the good news uh, for the book um, in, in most cases, and, and really looking forward to that episode where we could dive in uh, in a lot deeper. Yeah, one quick thing on the testing, just because, and we'll talk about it more, but I've actually been very frustrated that people haven't read your book yet when they've been talking about the testing conversation because it feels so separated from what you reported and revealed about how tests are or often really are not used uh, as people think they are in admissions, Jeff. Yeah, and it's really scary, Michael. I've, I've been doing some webinars at night uh, with parents and students, and the amazing stories you're hearing from people who are willing to travel, you know, three or four states away, hours, overnight trip, just to take a test. Uh, and, and they don't believe, and this is something, again, I think we'll talk about when, when we do the show on the book, they don't believe colleges are really test optional. And they think, um, well, if they really are test optional, why don't they go test blind? So it's something I'm really excited to be uh, digging into deeper um, in, a, in another other show. So, Michael, let's talk a little bit about the the summer uh, that is the summer of 2020. Although I hope that uh, that we possibly could just forget about this in a couple of years. What what are some of the big themes for you as you think about the summer? Yeah, unfortunately, I think history books are going to continue to reprise it. But uh, you know, I think obviously the big themes are are, are probably no brainers. I mean, colleges reversing reversing their reopening plans, right? That's been a huge storyline.
line, something we predicted on Future You, but now we're seeing it materialize uh, really en masse over the last month and a half or so. And uh, I think the other one is that uh, the major football conferences have started to call off their seasons. Not not everyone, but but uh, you know a couple big announcements uh, in the last week, and you know that was something we also talked uh, about on, on the final episode of Future You, where we said pretty sure college football is not going to be an easy thing to pull off. No, and it's it's fascinating to me, the Big Ten and the Pac-12 being the first among the big Power Five conferences to call off the, the fall season. And I was talking to a, a senior college leader who's had experiences at multiple Big Ten institutions. We were talking specifically about Nebraska, of course, because there was rumblings that Nebraska might try to play outside, right? They might try to play outside the conference. I don't think that's going to be easy. Um, but one of the things that really interested me about why the Pac-12 and the Big Ten were leaders on this, and the Big Ten in particular, particular is that I worked on a paper a couple of years ago for the Big Ten Academic Alliance, which is kind of the academic side of the of the Big Ten. And, and one of the questions that was being asked by the funder of this paper, which was a big foundation, was could we have similar academic alliances through the other athletic conferences, the ACC, the SEC, and, and so forth. And when I did the interviews for that, one of the things I realized is that in the Big Ten and, and a little bit in the Pac-12 as well, is that institutions see themselves as, as academic academic peers. Yes, I know Michigan thinks they're better than probably everybody else. Uh, and Northwestern is like kind of the outlier in the in the Big Ten because they're the private among all these big publics, right? But 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 for the most part, they they think of themselves as peers. And, and one of the examples that was given to me from somebody in the ACC, for example, is, you know, we have Duke and Louisville. Um, and, you know, Duke is a top 10 research university and, and no offense to our listeners at Louisville, they're not. And, uh, and, and so we don't see ourselves as academic peers. And so when the presidents get together, there's not as much commonality among them as a result, right? They're they're a little further spread out uh, geographically, although all the conferences now are, I guess. But more so, the presidents don't always see eye to eye because they don't necessarily agree on, on the academic side of things. They're really there only for the athletics. And that's why I think in the SEC, you know, you have Vanderbilt in, in Alabama uh, and you have in, you know, the Big 12, you have Texas and, and then uh, Oklahoma. So, you know, because of that, I think that's why we're seeing, I think, the Big 12 and the, and the, and the Pac-12 start off on, on, on canceling their season. Yeah, that's super interesting. I, 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 I'd love to switch gears a little bit because it relates to something which uh, that, that that you wrote about um, uh, recently, because we're going to get, I mean, let's actually just say this, we're going to have plenty of time to get into some of these reopening questions and fall football and so forth, particularly in our very next episode of Future You, when we have Dickinson's president, CFO, as well as uh, featured the uh, college crisis initiative at Davidson uh, to talk about uh, how they're tracking colleges reopening plans. But you know, talking about sort of the interaction, not just between universities, but within universities, you wrote an article over the summer for The Atlantic titled Colleges Are Deeply Unequal Workplaces. And I'd, I'd love to dig into what you wrote and, and, and maybe starting, Jeff, with the premise behind the article, because that is quite a provocative headline. Yeah, so you know, it's something that I've always thought when I was working at the Chronicle in terms of what a college campus. You know, we tend to think of college campuses as places for students, but at the end of the day, they're also workplaces, employing hundreds and thousands of of, of people. And I always remember people talking about the faculty. 
tenured faculty versus non-tenured faculty and how you're kind of in a club once you get tenure and you don't want anybody else in the club. Well, I think those clubs also exist between faculty and, and staff. And that's a really big divide in, in higher ed where you have administrators on one level, then you have faculty, and then you kind of have everybody else. And nobody was really talking about that. And, and the premise for the article was the New York Times wrote this piece about all these professors not wanting to come back into the classroom. And I'm thinking, well, you know, staff really don't have that choice. And then, uh, you know, Florida State University came out with this policy that basically said, uh, everybody has to get back to campus uh, if you can. Um, and by the way, we're, we're not going to support you working from home if you also have children uh, at home, right? It was remarkable, right? But again, faculty kind of get the, the at most campuses right now, they, they have the choice about whether to come back, whether to teach in person or not. And they have the flexibility to do that with office hours and, and when their courses are. Staff don't. And, and so really the piece was trying to explain you know, 50% of employees in higher ed are staff, but we also tend to think of staff as people in the dining halls and people driving the buses on campus or people taking care of the physical plant. But there's also all this other staff that has grown up over the last couple of decades in higher ed, academic advisors are staff, you know, people who make the HR functions and the IT functions, they're all staff lawyers, right? So these are also very professional people as well, kind of in many ways on the same level as the faculty. They're just not treated the same way. And and compare that to other workplaces in America where you have management and staff. And yes, you know, maybe there are higher level staff and lower level staff, but we don't, I don't think, see this wide gulf between faculty and staff in other workplaces, maybe in hospitals between doctors and nurses, but not in the, quite the same way, I think, as we do in, in higher ed. Yeah, it's an interesting point, Jeff. And I'd, I'd, I'd take it maybe one step further, which is that I think so much of the reopening you know, decision and conversation has been safety for students in the media and sort of parents focusing on that, rather than thinking about what uh, this could do from a spread perspective, transmission, outbreaks in communities and things of that nature. And the focus on staff that your article had really brings that to light because they're they're sort of the front lines, right, of, of that conversation and, and, and a significant uh, piece of the equation, maybe more so, you know, the students might get sick, maybe they won't get seriously sick, maybe they won't go to the hospital. These staff members could, right? Yeah, and the other thing is that they have very little uh, protection compared to the to the faculty. So when we see, and we're going to be talking about this with the College Crisis Initiative, right, when you're tracking who gets to work at home and who doesn't, but more so who's been laid off, who's been furloughed, much harder hit on the staff than the than the faculty. Uh, so it's it's even though the I think it's the staff that kind of if you really want to come back to campus, you need staff there to get it going. Right, they're the engine that kind of makes the uh, that makes the campuses run. Uh, even if the faculty, I get it, are are the are the professors and are the instructors. But if you don't have that underlying basis, that underlying uh, those underlying folks to get the campus running, you're not going to get back to campus. Yeah, well, I encourage everyone to read the article. Colleges are deeply unequal workplaces. But Jeff, uh, with the remaining time in this episode, I'm going to switch topics on you and, and go personal for a moment, because I know it wasn't quite the summer we had all imagined. But what was your best moment from the summer? 
Well, Michael, we had, we have plans to go away to Ireland uh, this summer that we're with family, uh, extended family, and that were that was canceled, of course, like most people's uh, plans. And so we we spent a lot of time locally, uh, and I think probably the best moment is we got you know as you know we're we're in Washington D.C. We got away to the eastern shore of Maryland uh, on the Chesapeake Bay this summer with the with the kids, and uh, and just had a kind of a very relaxing week doing some canoeing and paddleboarding, uh, eating crabs and, and and you kind of appreciate what's in your backyard a little bit more. Um, we've been spending a little time, you know, Washington is, is dead. It's empty right now. And so we've been also going to see, down to see the monuments, which we were never really able to do in the summer with the hordes of crowds. So what one thing that I think is great, and my kids are eight and 10 now, is we're really appreciating what's what's in our backyard. And so in some ways, I'm, I'm kind of glad that we got this summer. I'm not traveling and we're able to look at what's in our in our backyard and appreciate it a little bit more. So so right back at you, Michael, what's what's your summer been like? What's the best moment for you? Yeah, I mean, I you know, as you know, I came down to DC with my family for a week. It wasn't under great moment. It was a family funeral, which is a tough way to start things. But but I would say the the positive side, right, was my kids, me, uh, my wife, getting to spend time with my side of the family and just really be around each other, even if we were physically distant. Uh, it, w- it was an incredible moment. And then like you. Uh, we came back and immediately went to Rockport, Massachusetts. So our backyard, not a place where we would, would have rented a house ordinarily, I think, but just had a week together, uh, being together. And like you, not traveling for the summer and just being around my kids, that, that's been awesome. Uh, it's, been, it's been a heck of a lot of fun. And, and, uh, and uh, that, I think those are what we'll take from the summer, right, is, is to pull forward is, is a lot of those memories of togetherness on a lazy beach in Rockport. <laughs> so did you have a chance to to read anything uh, over the summer? Yeah, Jeff. So I, you know, didn't get maybe the reading time I expected uh, over the summer uh, because the uh, absence of plane time and, and kids around and so forth, but uh, did, did get some moments. I, and uh, two books popped to the top of my list that I'd recommend. One, I finally uh, read The Wise Men, uh, Six Friends in the World They Made, the Walter Isaacson and Evan Thomas book that they wrote years ago. Uh, fascinating, just thinking about shaping the post-World War II era and sort of what's going to come in the post-COVID era. A lot of reflections from that. And then the second one is a book that's not out yet, but I got to read uh, Joseph Ayun has an upcoming book with MIT Press and got to read that and sort of like a spy thriller on how Northeastern responded to the COVID uh, crisis. It's, it's, it's a gripping read. What, what, what about you? Um, so because I was preparing to launch a book, I didn't get as much reading as I had hoped, uh, but I did read the end of October, which is Lawrence writes a novel on a, on a global pandemic. Um, I, boy, how I wish I could be an author who years ago would write a book that would come out about a pandemic in the middle of a pandemic. Uh, that's 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 the type of uh, uh, book you want to to read. I, I read it at the uh, while we were on vacation. I think people were wondering why I was reading a book about a pandemic in the middle of a pandemic, but uh, but it was a great read and 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 really hoping to read more more fiction in the in the coming year. Although it did read like a nonfiction book um, in many in many moments. And so so Michael, I think that's probably a good place to leave it and and to tease what's coming up 
uh, a lot of what's to come on on future you and we're really excited for this uh, for this year and to that end I I think we ought to end on two things Michael all right go for it Jeff so first uh, I think we're excited because we have a new producer helping us out on the show uh, Matt uh, Krupnik uh, so we have our we still have our audio producer with us uh, Steve Shigaris from from past years but but Matt is joining us mostly on the content side of things uh, many people in higher ed might recognize his name he's a freelance uh, reporter and editor who has contributed regularly to the New York Times the Guardian and Heckinger report uh, he was a reporter a former reporter with the Center for Public Integrity's um, uh, investigation uh, unit so really a long history in covering higher ed and we're really excited to have him on our team uh, this year uh, in terms of uh, in terms of helping us out with these uh, with these episodes. We're also going to do our best to start adding some regular segments uh, to the show, some of our top reads in higher ed and answering questions from our loyal listeners. So please keep pinging us. Uh, we, we know we get questions sometimes and we're hoping to answer more of them uh, this year than we have in, in past years. Yeah, that sounds like a good plan for the uh, season ahead. And we'll continue to keep plan in quotes because you just never know what's going to come down, uh, what 2020 is going to throw at us. But we'll leave it there for our first episode of season four. And we'll see you next time on Future You. Hey folks, Michael Horn here. Hope you enjoyed the latest episode of Future You. And just a reminder to please subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform. And if you like the podcast, rate us so that others can find us and uh, find out about the good conversations that we're having here. As always, thanks so much for listening.